Welcome to the Producer Podcast. This is the show where we talk to successful electronic music producers from around the world, and we ask them how they make their music, what they're doing in the studio. We talk about their careers. We try to get out some marketing advice to you guys. The goal of this show is to help you out there become better musicians, better marketers, get your music out there and heard. We always have killer producers on the show. This show is no different. I'm really happy to have joining me today, Martin from Bar 9, calling us from Bristol in the UK. What's going on, Martin? All good, man. All good. All good. Yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Not bad. I just had my coffee, so I'm, I'm ready to go. How about you? Yeah, I've got a cup of tea. <laughs> there you go. That's the English thing to do. It's the English thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and the kind of music you're doing these days. Uh, right. So obviously we're quite, obviously we're a dubstep outfit. Um, and although we have diversified a little bit with other, you know, dabbling with other bass music genres, we do still fairly solidly reside ourselves around the sort of 140 mark. Um, and just try and make, the main objective is just to make tunes that people go nuts to, like music that kids in raves can have the time of their lives to. That's the main that's that's the manifesto, you know. I'm interested in making banging tunes that really move people. Well, you do, and you know your sound is very polished. It's it's mixed perfectly, mastered perfectly. The bass just crushes you. Really good stuff, man. I really like what you do. Thank you, thank you very much. Let me ask you this. This is the first time I've asked this on the show. I'm just a little bit curious. With the whole term dubstep. Do you feel that that term is kind of going by the wayside and just bass music is the new thing? Or what do you feel is the new term for what you do? Well, in recent, in recent weeks, even like uh, the whole original, in my eyes, this sort of might make me sound a bit old, but like uh, the original kind of dubstep vibe has kind of been reinvented. And I've seen it sort of called, called uh, rhythm and swamp. Swamp seems to be the new thing. I think 12 Planet coined that. Um, and a lot of it is kind of, a lot of it's quite old school, I feel. Um, and it's sort of recapturing the vibe of what it was all originally about. I think for a little while it sort of lost its way and everybody just kind of jumped on various bandwagons and replicated what other people were doing. Right. And after a while it just kind of, there's nothing wrong with it, but it did just sort of lose a bit of its identity and it just kind of became that style of music. And I think now we're really get, starting to get like uh, artists like Snails um, uh, that are, you know, really kind of pushing the envelope quite a lot on what exactly you can do inside of the confines of a quote unquote dubstep track. Right. Uh, I, uh, I like uh, it. I like it. I'm with you. And I, I really like the way things are going with that type of music these days. No, like it's it's really taking off, and like um, it's it's really it's very much now also becoming quite an American thing. Like I don't want to say it's kind of it's not happening anywhere else in the world because it is, but America is still quite I don't want to say a new thing, but like people really do get involved over there, or you know, in, in the states and everywhere else in the world, it hasn't quite caught up yet. Like everyone's still kind of stuck in sort of 2010, 2012 kind of territory regarding dubstep. Interesting. Um, and in the States, it's, it's not, you know, there's so many, there's so many new producers now that are just making utterly incredible music. And it's almost like what they're doing is they're making shit dubstep really good. Um, 
meaning is not shit you know uh <laughs> and for, for years you know uh, like every every man and their dog was writing stuff with lfos on massive and you know it just had no soul and now it's really starting to come into its own and it's got a soul and it, it really has like a sense of belonging to it and it has a vibe and it has a groove and it it really works you know yeah so yeah i think that's great I think it's great. I, lo- I love that uh, they are getting away from just like massive presets and putting a little feeling into it because uh, that's what it needs. And I think that's really what's going to give it traction into the future. I think that also what happened was the, the the rise of dubstep was kind of twinned with the rise of, it was twinned with the rise of a lot of social media, um, which before hadn't really been seen. You know, it sort of coincided with the rise of Facebook and the rise of Twitter and such and um also with the rise of a lot of tutorials you know like when i was learning to make music it was very much you, you know I, I got told by a number of people that you know their production secrets you know you don't tell people how you write tunes and now the main point is to tell people how you write tunes <laughs> and although for a couple of years what you ended up with was or for a little while so i should say not a couple of years for a while and for certain people what you ended up with was people literally just making music based on production tutorials they'd seen on youtube now these kids have gotten uh, a really really good solid grasp of how you use synths and how you use your 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 door or daw or whatever you call it um and they're coming out with utterly mind-bending totally mind-bending sounds that like you're stumped as to exactly how they've made and they're able to do this because they've seen tutorials on how the best people make their music and then they've adapted that and i think that's all part of kind of how it all fits together but um sorry i'm rambling you did have a question which i just talked all over all over the time no no i like what you said that's amazing and it's you know this music is definitely to me at least the music of the future and I'm I'm still very surprised, at least in the U.S. I don't know where it is, how it is in the rest of the world. You can't like go down to your local music shop and take lessons on this. It's all they all learn online and through their own personal experimentation and tutorial videos. But every, I've every, called every, I, I've called stores and I said, you know, what do you guys teach? Oh, we teach guitar, clarinet, drums. And I'm like, still, I'm like, this is 2014. You don't teach any electronic music, you know? Well, there's always a big stigma, like people that, oh, I don't want to diss anybody and I don't want to call it, but people that play guitars generally tend to think that unless you've got a guitar, you're a shit musician. Um, <laughs> and it's still this big stigma attached to it. Like, although I do understand there's quite a lot of controversy regarding DJing at the moment, you know, it's, um, for me, I'm a producer and I DJ because that is the chosen method of performing. Um, and to be honest, it's, it's, it's the best way of performing. That's why, that's why it's become a standard. You know, you don't, you, you, you're seeing less and less kids turn up to raves that are playing with boxes of equipment and controllers all wired to Ableton because it just doesn't really make any sense. There's too much room for error and, um, DJing is what it is about. And I think a lot of musicians, particularly like you were saying, people in music shops that give lessons don't, they don't think that it's music like people that it's kind of that whole thing of uh less you know the more you think you know and they see what people are doing and they think well all they're doing is just putting together a load of loops and making a track out of it and getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars um and i'm sure anybody that's dabbled with making music knows straight away that if you just make music out of predefined loops that you bought from uh, somewhere you know some sample cd company what you'll end up with is that sample pack in a different order you know, it's not. There is like a mat. The thing with electronic 
music production it's everything it's all encompassing it's the notes you use it's the melodies it's the sound design as the mix down and when you've just got a guitar it's just learning places to put your fingers um and i think that because people because certain people don't see what goes on behind the scenes they just assume that you're an uh, an idiot that just does nothing you know i think some people do genuinely think that you press a button and it writes a track for you um and i think these are the people that are that that these are the people that sort of hinder everything and to the same credit you know if you could ring if i could ring up my local music shop now obviously i don't want to but like if i could ring up my local music shop and know that they were teaching you how to use logic or ableton i think there would be a huge movement and i think people really 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 would buy into that but a lot of the powers that be just see that djing electronic music is just something that's made in a computer and isn't actually music um, and certainly I'd have to argue that, you know, the amount of people that turn up to electronic only festivals certainly go against what they're saying. Right, and I think people right. get quite bitter about this when they've spent 15 years learning to play the guitar or what have you and, um, and fail to get anywhere because they don't understand the whole picture. The beauty of electronic music is that what you're able to produce out of a computer is an entirely finished track entirely by yourself without the involvement of any other people with the exception of buying the computer and the, and the software, buy your software in the first place, um, you know, it's, it, you're able to produce a fully finished product yourself without involving anybody else in it. And as soon as you're in a band, you know, all of that changes. You need a mix engineer, you need a studio with sound-treated rooms to get the recording in the first place. If you're going on tour, you need, you know, you, you need a bus, you need transportation. It costs a fortune to ship a drum kit anywhere. I, I know that first-hand experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, electronic music is absolutely killing it because there's none of these overheads. People can just get on. You don't have to worry about band dynamics or, and by band dynamics, I mean working with your bandmates, you know, that kind of thing. It's just you or you and whoever else you choose to do it with. And you can just sit down quietly, get on and produce a tune. And that tune can go to number one in as many countries as you can possibly think it can do. And it can do all of that just from the bounce down from your computer. Um, and I think this is also why a lot of people are quite bitter about it, because it appears to be quite simple. Obviously, anybody that dabbles in music production knows that it's not. It's completely all-encompassingly consuming. Like, when you start writing music, you're not going outside for the next three days, basically. You're going to become a hermit in your little studio in a dark room and write music. But that is what it takes. And I think a lot of people don't get to see that. They, all they get to see is you turn up to a show quote unquote play other people's music and then bugger off again and that's totally not how it works like for my for me personally i tend to spend like 60 hours a week in the studio like sometimes more sometimes less and that is going to be the same for just about every single producer out there um you know but you don't get to see that right so, right. Yeah. Right. I am totally with you. And I've, I've done both. I'm, I've practiced guitar for years. I'm a guitar player. I play drums. I play keyboard. Yeah. Making totally, electronic totally music drums, is, keyboard. go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, no, I play guitar, drums, bass, like, you know, I dabble in anything that's electronic. I didn't mean to really upset anybody or diss anybody by saying that. It's just that that is kind of the view of a lot of people. It's like the view of your dad. Do you know what I mean? Like no, they totally. don't understand what's going on. So they just, mindlessly diss it and call you an idiot and yeah like well that's the thing I've, i you know for you and me we've done it both and you can't tell me that making an electronic music song fully produced 
isn't in, like more difficult than playing any of those other instruments by a mile. I mean, you, you have to know everything that's going on with the EQ, compression, mix down, mastering, all the effects. It is like a bear to learn. And that's why you see a lot of like young producers who you want to be the next big thing, just jump on like Fruity Loops or Ableton or any program, do it for one day and go, forget this. This is impossible. So only, which is good. The barrier to entry seems low, but it's actually higher than, you know, what most people think. So I think still only the good artists are going to, are going to make it. Totally. Like you've got to, you've got to really give it your all to get anywhere because the people that do get everywhere are people that give it their all. So you're immediately competing with people whose lives entirely revolve around writing music. So unless you can compete with that, you're probably not going to, you know, get that far. But it is, it's dedication. Absolutely. That's that's kind of what what gets you anywhere. And it's the same with any instrument for that matter. My point earlier was more just that like, if you're in a band and you want to get to the top, there's like a whole lot of overheads and there's a whole lot of things to deal with as where with electronic music, it's just you in front of a computer. Right. Right. Now, speaking of that, what's, what program do you use to make music? What's your DAW of choice? So at the moment, uh, we're both on logic. Um, get a bit techy or nerdy about it we've been using logic since version seven um before that we're on cubase i think i started out on cubase uh 3.5 and i think it was a radium crack and that was like 99 98 something like that so quite a while back but wow. um years we've used we've used most of them at some point i've never really gotten into reason or fruity loops um, and I think the main reason for that, no pun intended, is simply because we were kind of using Cubase and it, it you know, it's brilliant and it's really good, but it just didn't seem like it was worth, it didn't seem like it was really worth sw- swapping to something like Reason from Logic. Um, so yeah, lo- Logic's where we're at. The main reason we switched to using Logic initially was because um, I think we're on SX2 maybe SX3, I can't quite remember, well, one of the Cubase SX versions, and Logic, the new version of Logic came out, and that just had, it was just newer, it had like EQs built into the channel strips, oh, excuse me, um, comes with its all own suite of plugins, and it was just really all-encompassing, and it was really intuitive to use straight out of the box, and I think it probably took about a week of using it, and then we were like, yeah, switch, totally. Right, right. Uh, Do you still like the run- new Logic? Uh, yeah, what, Logic Pro X? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's actually really good. The, the main reason um, is that Logic Pro 9 was really good, but it was really fiddly on your laptop. If you're trying to use it on the road, it was a real pain in the backside, yeah. as where Logic Pro X is almost optimized for a laptop. So it, it's really nice and quick to use. Um, all of the user interface on it has been nicely refined now over years. I mean, there's still loads of bugs and... Their tech support is just, you know, straight up appalling, but kind of going to get that to some degree with most of them. Um, so, yeah, Logic for us is the one. Like, do dabble with the other ones as well. And I've written tunes on, or we've both written tunes on various other sequences, but it does usually come back to Logic. Gotcha. Good to know. Good to know. It's a popular one on this show. Can you tell us uh, what, what soft synth are you using this day, these days? What's your favorite soft synth? uh probably probably massive you know and i appreciate that that is you know the lowest common denominator but it it really is quite 
a notch above most other things out there. Um, and the reasons that I'd say that are mostly because of, well, for a start, the oscillator selection on Massive is quite intuitive. Um, every oscillator, see, every pretty much all of the oscillators have a wavetable which you can cycle through. So although, uh, although you may be able to initially set the wave size, to like I don't know, grind I think one of them's called or something like that by rotating the the wavetable knob you actually get like an infinite number of tones out of that oscillator right um, and then there's various ways that you can color it as well and such so there's not really you know as where with other synths it's kind of like square saw or a spectral wave with massive you can actually really tweak the oscillator sounds themselves and it's kind of endless to that extent um, but other synths that we use um i'm a big fan of albino like to be honest most of our back catalog has actually been written using linplug albino 3 um and again that offers quite a lot of wavetable modulation that you can access through the spectral waves and such um but mostly mostly nowadays i'd say it's massive um i am constantly constantly looking for something that can rival it but as of yet not really found that much. I mean, there's some nice synths out there, like the Decam Synth Squad pack, like um, uh, what they call like Fuser, and I can't remember what all the other ones are. They're 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 pretty cool, but they're very non-intuitive. They take an awfully long time to get a very basic sound out of. Gotcha. Um, as well with Massive, it's like even the modulation routings on it are just so screamingly obvious what's going on, <laughs> and it's so fast. Um, and it's just all inside the box. It just seems to offer things that other synths don't do. Um, and it also massive, um, by default, scales all of the filter cutoffs um, and the insert effects to the key that you press. And I don't know many other synths that do that straight out of the box. Um, most of them have got like um, some sort of key sync that you can you can um, set up so that as you go higher up the keyboard, the filter cutoff level actually increases as to capture the note that you're playing. Um, but again, Massive kind of automatically tunes it, and it's more effort to turn it off than it is to just live with it. And I think out of that as well, as allows you to make really crazy sounds that stay perfectly in key. Um, and previously, that was kind of a problem because if you had the filter cut off set to a funny frequency that sounded good, but you were say you're working in F, um, you may find that you end up setting the filter cut off to say D. Um, and though it works, it's not very musical. Um, as where with massive, by default, your filter cut off point is actually the key that you're playing. So if you're in F and you use a filter in massive, the filter cutoff is set to F by default. Obviously, you can change it, but it just means that your sounds stay very much true to the key that you're playing. Um, and I think that makes quite a big difference. I'd certainly think that you can kind of hear it quite a lot. I'm not that sure about how Reason handles it with some of their synths, but um, sometimes it just gets a bit messy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that about Massive, but um, that's good to know. And like yeah, there, I, there's just still a ton of people are using Massive. Have you tried Spire yet? Just out of curiosity, I have tried it. Yeah. Um, again, I felt it was fairly. Uh, I don't want to put it down, um, but I felt <laughs> it was almost a bit gimmicky. 
Uh, and I know that there's some uh, people out there that are able to get totally crazy sounds out of it. So, you know, it, an instrument is an instrument, really, yeah, yeah. you know, you do with it. But, um, yeah, like the more the more comfortable I get with the tools that I have, the less I kind of want to change. In sure. fact, as a general rule, like all of my productions, all of our productions, and I'm sure an awful lot of other people will say this as well, it's like, you know, I've got hundreds of plugins that I've bought over the years, and I probably use four of them right. in total. Right. Because they're the ones that you get really, you know, learn, learn one, learn one tool really well as opposed to learning like 50 slightly. And, you know, just because you know how a synth works and what each control does doesn't actually mean that you know how to use that synth fully. You can't necessarily get the best results out of it as well with the tools that I use all the time. I'm quite familiar with them and I'm quite quick with them as well because you use them all the time. So, yeah, I think that's what makes a bit of a difference. No, that's great. It's, it's great advice too. And people really need to learn their tools and you could get any sound you want in the world out of massive. There's no doubt. So you could probably do it with any synth as long as you really know it. That's um, it. That's it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your career a little bit. You know, okay. you're, you guys are obviously crushing it. You have tons of Facebook followers, tons of followers on SoundCloud. You're touring all over the world. Tell us about how, well, what really helped you in your career, would you say, the, mo the most helpful thing in your career to get you from where you started to where you are now? You know what, like, years ago, someone said to us that um, you can only go so long putting so much in without getting something back. Eventually, it has to pay back. Mm -hmm. And that kind of became a bit of a philosophy for us um, in the sense that, you know, we used to put in so much effort and it was, you know, for the pair of us, it was both what we wanted to do for since the year dot, basically. Um, like, initially, it's always a bit of a rough start, and I think it still is these days. Um, so like, we started out making drum and bass, and we did that for about two, three years, something like that. And although we had releases out, you know, we, none of them ever kind of gravitated towards generating any sort of weight at all you know they were just kind of inconspicuous jump up drum and bass tunes that sounded the same as everyone else and it was only really when we started dabbling with dubstep that things actually started to to to, to pay off a bit for us and i think the time when we came through was actually really crucial because we were kind of we were kind of one of the earlier ones to sort of bridge from drum and bass to dubstep and obviously what we kind of did without realizing it is we just applied the drum and bass sound design the drum and bass production to our dubstep and at that time no one else was really doing that everyone was very much into dub and it was all very eyes down and it was all vibing and you know we weren't really too into that like i said earlier you know we just want to make people dance and go utterly nuts and yeah we just kind of encompassed that and that sort of that kind of is what 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 allowed us to get somewhere um not that we've really gotten that far compared to other people but yeah for us it was just all about making really heavy tunes and we just sort of stuck to that philosophy and we just kind of knew that at some point it would pay off which thinking about it now is actually quite a big risk but um and i wouldn't like to break through as a new artist now because because kids these days are just utterly utterly amazing you know, um, in what they are able to achieve. And, um, yeah, I think 
Yeah, so along the way, there's been quite a few things people have said, done in sort of defining moments. Like certainly like the first part, the first time you get booked to play a show that isn't your mate's night or isn't (laughs) anything to do with someone you know. You know, there's someone that's contacted you because of record sales and they're prepared to pay you money because they want you because they want you there not because they're a nice guy and not because you're demanding money because you think you're big you know it's like that's like a real defining moment and it really does make you feel like you've actually I don't want to say you've achieved something but you're kind of on the right path if that makes sense um, oh, that totally makes sense if people are willing to pay you that means you're in demand that's what the market wants that's a good thing well it, when you guys made the transition to dubstep did, did you do anything special in your marketing to get you noticed or did you start putting stuff on SoundCloud? Like you say you went from drum and bass Sound- to dubstep. What happened that you got no, that got you noticed? What did you do with your music? I think actually when we started, it was possibly even before SoundCloud. I'm not sure when SoundCloud started, but it was all about MySpace when we, <laughs> when we, uh, when we started putting stuff out. Um, our general strategy I think was, because we did it all in like three days, basically. Like uh, my girlfriend had gone traveling around New Zealand and I was at home. Um, and I think between the two of us, we wrote like one dubstep track. And then I think the next day in the studio, we wrote three. So I think the first track we ever actually wrote was Duck Hunt that came out on uh, came out on Audio Freaks. I can't remember the name of the EP at the moment. Um, but alongside that, so the first track was Duck Hunt and then... I think we wrote Soundly and um, Direction Course, and I can't actually remember the name of the fourth track. But when we w- came up with all of those, um, we were like, right, well, we've got an EP here, you know, like we should try and do something with it. And at the time, we were signed to a drum and bass label that 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 had a fairly good reputation, but they were just basically blagging us. Um, and you'd do things like you'd make an arrangement to go and meet them at like two o'clock, and you'd go to the studio and they wouldn't be there, and their phones oh. would be. Um, and it was just real disheartening. So like we made the dubstep tracks and then I think the next day we made, um, we set up the MySpace and we came up with the name Bar 9. Um, and I think we sent out a load of emails to various labels that we felt were kind of connected. And again, back then they weren't like dubstep labels like they were now. I mean, I know you, right. you still had like Dub Police and DMZ, but like they were the big ones back then. So a lot of the labels that we contacted were kind of old garage labels and things like that because they seemed more relevant to us than than, you know, you know, than any of the initial dubstep ones. You right. know, that right. we were making party music and they were all making kind of you know they were doing their thing they're making deep eyes down dub music, which is what it, you know, where where it all very much stemmed from. Um, and I think we probably sent out like 10, 20 emails with demos in. And the next day there was like, I think nearly all of them wanted to sign all of the music. Wow. Um, that's amazing. It was totally incredible to having gone as well from being basically just ignored as a drum and bass artist and got nothing in return. Um, to getting that overnight was just incredible. Um, uh, which one, what one, which one did you pick and why did you pick that label? Um, so we have a friend that used to live near us whose producer name is Rob Sparks and he was doing music for the label Z Audio and Audio Freaks and he hooked us up with um, Zach who runs that and because there was that affiliation there with a friend of ours we felt quite comfortable talking to him Um, 
and we basically gave them to to him based based on that you know you had a good conversation on the phone we both had a good feeling about it he was really excited um money wasn't particularly discussed um but we knew that it was a straight standard 50 50 split which in case you know anyone that's listening doesn't know is what you should be expecting from a record label you should be getting 50 percent of everything and the label should be getting 50 percent of everything else after the net so it's good to know um and again and well i have heard that some labels don't do that i've heard some labels these days are offering a much lower percentage but again this was back in this was back when vinyl was selling units like you know mm. not not really good units but units and there was some money to be recouped so it kind of was important as we're now like even with a really good selling record you're lucky if you clear the publicity the the, the pr expenses for it um, and the whole business model for music in the past sort of five years has shifted completely. It's all now entirely gravitated yeah. towards set, towards um, shows and publishing. Like record sales don't mean virtually anything right, now. Right, right. Like they'll exactly. basically pay for the promotion of the EP or the single or whatever you're putting out. Right. Should you still expect the fifty-fifty split then, even in these days? Yeah, no, totally. 50-50 okay. split should be standard. I mean, gotcha. if someone offers you more, take it because that's a brilliant deal. But you have to ask yourself exactly why they're offering more than what is standard. Um, like, and again, again, like I say, with digital sales now, it's, you know, what little money there is, is very little. Like, you've got to think, when we were selling records, like vinyl sales, we were getting, we were getting close to about a pound per unit, as in we were getting that. Right. So that was after that. That was net, and that was after the fifty percent split. As where nowadays iTunes sells the tunes for seventy nine pence, and they take half of that. So by the time you've taken the expenses out of it and you split it fifty percent with the label, if you get fourteen pence, you're really lucky. Nice. Um, and you know, Beatport, all of the other shops, they all operate in the same capacity. And although it's bad on one sense, it's not at the same point at the same time because you know music shouldn't cost a lot and it does cost a lot or it always used to you know um yeah. i think this is one of the main reasons things like napster really really revolutionized the music industry was because for years everyone had been campaigning and saying you know you don't really need to charge ten dollars ten ten pounds for a cd or twenty dollars for a cd or anything right. like that right. and label stayed stum about it and continued charging it and then one day napster popped up and everybody just downloaded it and yeah thing is is you know to, to, to kids or you me like the end the end user you just want to hear the music like you know I, I nowadays mostly listen to stuff on either spotify or youtube and i'm aware it just how you know spotify pay an absolute pittance and youtube don't pay much more but it's the convenience factor of it and you know i don't think that something as creative as music should necessarily be limited by financial restrictions because it's an art form you know, you wouldn't necessarily, although it does happen, you wouldn't necessarily charge someone to look at a picture. Although, obviously, in the context of a museum, you'd charge an entry fee. But, you know, if you think you had some guy standing on the side of the road with a sign and a blanket over a picture and he was charging a quid <laughs> to look at a picture, you'd think, what, what are you on? You're an idiot. So, it's funny. yeah, like, it's, it's complicated. But, like, the main thing with, with music in general is that, like, especially professional music is that you just can't think of the money. The money is secondary. You've, you've got to do it because you love it. Um, and for us, that was certainly what carried us through. And like looking back now, like the financial risks we took were kind of, 
well, they were stupid, quite frankly, you know, <laughs> like we were so hell bent on getting somewhere and doing stuff that we didn't really give too much thought to exactly how it was going to pan out. And luckily it did. Um, but, you know, if, 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 if it hadn't have taken off, we would have been in a lot of trouble. And that's not to say like we'd borrowed loads of money from loan sharks or anything like that, but you've got to survive while you do this. And there comes a point when it becomes your full time occupation, whether you're getting paid for it or not. Um, and it's really important to kind of know it's really important to know exactly what you're hoping to get out of it and when it's going to pay back but the whole point of the music industry is that it could or it couldn't you can't really decide it's it's an x factor very much you know just because you've got the crispest productions and a really a really catchy tune doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a big hit what will make it a big hit is if is if so and so super huge dj starts playing your music that is what's going to make it a big hit. Um, and you can't really wager too much on that. And although big labels and people with a reputation can exploit that quite well, um, and majors have certainly now got on their hand, gotten their heads around the whole viral marketing approach, they're actually really late to the game. And a lot of people really cashed in super huge long before majors had even clocked on it. Um, like the UKF YouTube channel is kind of a prime example of that because they knew exactly what they were doing really, really, really early on. Um, and they absolutely killed it. You know, mm. like they, 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 they are able, they're able to offer promotion like major labels dream about, you know, being able to access more than like a million subscribers for free is, is and was unheard of 10 years ago. Right. right. Um, and for major labels, certainly, you know, if, if they were looking to, if they were looking to sell a Madonna album, um, they'd probably have to sell like, they'd probably have to spend like 50 million promoting it. And then that album would probably only make 60 million. So they have to put like five times the amount or 10 times the amount of, of, of money into promoting it as they're actually ever going to make back. So that's why major labels exist because they're the only ones that have the, the throw or the reach or the budget in order to access that many people. Exactly. And then all of a sudden overnight you have like all these YouTube channels and Facebook groups that have those numbers on there and the kids are getting into it and they're listening to it. And you know, it takes people a long time to sort of understand how all of these things work. Um, and the whole viral marketing thing is totally what it's about these days. That's kind of that, that's how you get a big tune really is you have to be quite clever about it. Well, it's like I, that. I hear what you're saying, and that's great advice and a good history of what happened in the music industry. But uh, like, like you said in the beginning, I think there's definitely credence to you know if you put in a lot of effort and you're so persistent that you know you're not going to give up and you envision that you're going to be at the top and you keep putting in the hours and you have the talent. I mean, the cream will rise to the top. I believe you'll get discovered. You'll you'll do something maybe accidentally that puts you in a position where you can get noticed. I just yeah. think it has a lot to do with intention. You know what I mean? Like you said, I think it doesn't. I think what you said then is, is you know, you're, 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 I think you're more likely to do something unintentionally that's going to make you break through than yeah. sit there thinking about it, at least until you've got some, some really good understanding of how the industry works. Not right. that I do, because, you know, you sort of think you understand it and then someone does something and you're just blown away at how <laughs> they've executed it. You I know, tell like you, a marketing man, that... scam or something. But like, that... again, you know, like for me, I just wanted to write tunes, and Ollie, yeah. the the uh, my partner in Bar Nine, was exactly the same. Like, you know, we're not we're not businessmen as such. In fact, right. we are, but we're crap businessmen. You know, like, <laughs> we're not, like you know, 
some people really excel at this kind of stuff and some people don't and for me i just mainly want to write music and certainly what you said is true you know like that if you continue putting the effort in then you will eventually get something back like you 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 have to really um you can you, you just can't be ignored for that long not when you because what happens is you start making music and then people listen to that music and then people start playing that music and then you make more music and then the people play that music based on your reputation of what you what what music you put out in the past and then all of a sudden it kind of blows up i guess and and that's how it it, it all sort of sits together right um but you it's quite difficult to sort of envision that before it's happened but it's only your persistence that has enabled that to happen like there's everybody knows when they're writing music you know you you get put off by stuff or you spend ages on a mix down and then you listen to something someone sends you and it's like a billion times better than what you've just done (laughs) and it's totally disheartening but you know you just got to kind of learn to brush that off and get on with it really that is definitely that is the thing man that's great advice you basically answered the question about you know what would what advice would you give to an aspiring producer right now so um, tell us where people can find out more about you guys, listen to your music and, uh, where they can connect up with you if they'd like. So again, like the main, the, uh, basically social media, you know, like Facebook, hit us up on Facebook. If you've got music that you're, you're, you're trying to get somewhere, please send it to us. Like we've just opened a label. Um, and we're certainly looking for, for, for projects to take on board. So if there's anyone awesome. out there listening that is interested, please, please get in touch. Like our Facebook is uh, facebook.com forward slash bar nine UK and our labels called electric city recordings. So that's facebook.com electric city recordings um, to listen to our music, like very much SoundCloud um, and YouTube um, because that's where that's like our official outlets of where we put it up. Yeah. Um, obviously you can buy it from Beatport and iTunes and everything else, but nobody does that anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, get it from there. Like one thing I will quickly say is that I think that, um, although Facebook is a fantastic source of promotion, it's not that brilliantly integrated with music. Um, and because of, um, because of the way Facebook works, it works you using an algorithm called a drank, which I'm sure most people are kind anyone that's looked into it knows about. And it basically tries to decipher what is interesting content against what is uninteresting content. Um, and the thing that really, really annoys me personally about it is that, you know, we've got quite a good following on Facebook that we've had to work really hard to build up. But Facebook will only let us access 20% of our fans with any post unless we pay a, an absurd amount of money. Right. Um, and with other social media sites like, you know, previous ones like MySpace and things like that, and I'm not saying bring back MySpace because that's well and truly dead, but it did mean that, you know, you could put music up um, and you weren't really limited to where it could reach as where Facebook will decide who gets to hear what. Um, so if I put a track up now, Facebook would almost certainly limit it because it would know that I'm using Facebook as a, a marketing tool and it wants you to pay for that. So this is kind of where blogs and things like this come into it because they will post your music um, and they do have a really good solid subscriber list and a lot of them operate outside of the realms of Facebook. Um, but certainly, if you want to check us out, um, Facebook is 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 the best way to do so. Um, and obviously, we've got next to all of our other social media accounts on there. Um, so, yeah. 
Awesome, man. And all the links to all, you know, all the social media places that you have going on. We're going to link to those in the show notes. So, uh, you know, after the show, guys, go check out all the show notes at theproducer.club. That's where we're going to have this interview. We also have a SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com slash theproducerpodcast. The show notes will be in there as well. Thanks to Sean Hannigan for doing the show notes for us. Hey, um, Martin, thank you so much for doing this. You gave incredible information. I'm sure it's going to help so many producers out there. You don't even know. I hope so. I hope so. Like, it's always really refreshing to actually... Um, to hear what you know people make like you know like you can get you can get so wrapped up in trying to make the best tune ever and then it will just take someone with a with a different idea to come up with a different approach and suddenly they've revolutionized the music industry um it's it's happened before and it will definitely i hope so Um, i hope so that's always the best bit about music is just being surprised by what people can do well cool i mean i bet a lot of people are you know i hope a lot of people who listen to this get to know you guys better, listen to all your tracks, buy all your songs and, uh, yes. and help you guys along. Buy so, our music, please. <laughs> well, thanks again. And thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. That's going to be it for the producer podcast for today. See you next time.